0: You're listening to the Apple Insider podcast.
1: Welcome to glorious episode 156 of the Apple Insider podcast. I'm your host Victor Marks, and joining me is Neil Hughes, editor in chief. What? Uh, rewind that one second. Joining me is Mike Worthley. Yeah, you and the Neil fan
0: club. Not this week. <laughs> Sorry.
1: I know. No, I uh, Neil will be back. Neil is is taking some much needed. Uh, Rest and recuperation and family time, and he'll be back, I promise. Yep. So, sorry to to mislead you guys, but yeah, we we miss Neil too. Starting things off, we should talk about, well, we got quite a lot to talk about, actually. So, first up is is one more go at battery debacle. So, Tim Cook said in an interview on Wednesday, that is yesterday as we recorded this, that they're going to reveal a new iOS function that will allow owners of iPhones with depleted batteries to disable the built-in CPU throttling. Now, remember that the CPU throttling was a measure introduced in order to lengthen the lifespan of older batteries and handsets. It was going to allow you to keep running the battery down until about, you know, 4% or 0% of the battery life, as you'd expect a battery to behave, even though the battery is depleted. And it was going to prevent undervoltage of the the main board, so you don't actually damage your phone in the process of trying to, to run it with too little power. Due to all the complaints, Apple is going to allow users to to turn that function off which means two things one your phone will power down spontaneously at around 20% or even you know even more and two it will uh, allow the the battery to undervolt the board which it can again can potentially damage your phone
0: yeah, I think this is about the dumbest idea ever. I, I understand why Apple is doing it, and it's great that they're starting to talk about it more than they did when they released the, when they did the update in 10.2.1, but you're, you're forcing the device to shut down under low power. You're putting the, you're putting in potentially in a position where you're writing to flash at the same time you shut down the phone. And this could require a DFU reset. And I, I appreciate that the 10,000 or so Apple Insider podcast listeners probably know what I just said. Why don't we carry this conversation over to mainstream media and say that you need to do a DFU reset and see what happens. This, this is just not a good idea. And I am, like I said, I understand that the Apple Insider podcast people are not the same as the mainstream user, but the mainstream users are going to, want to say, "Oh yeah, I want full speed all the time on my phone," and it's going to be a problem. There, there's going to be phones crashing. There's going to be complaints that Apple is allowing the phone to crash. It, it's just this is not a good situation and it's not a good idea. I'm I'm hoping I'm hoping that this that this aspect of it gets walked back.
1: Right. I, I still think that our initial recommendation. Of just simply notifying the user that their battery needs service was the right answer.
0: I, I think so too. I and they did say that they're going to do that. They did say that there's gone they're going to pop up a notification about it, saying that your the condition of your battery is causing some performance problems. But I just don't agree with giving the user the ability to turn off the feature.
1: Yeah. Now there, th- this this begins to feel like Android territory to me, which is you have all the power to do all kinds of bad ideas with your device. But you get that flexibility. And that's something that Android users value. You know, they, they talk about how great it is that you get a good value of a device. You get a device that gives you more freedom. But the, the freedom to do things that are actually bad for your hardware and, and not necessarily good for your user experience is not necessarily the smart thing, right? Yeah, that's part of freedom. You can accept the good with the bad. But why would you want people who just want to use their phone to have that, that power to make ill-informed choices?
0: Sure. And I think cook is actually on our side on this one too. What he said, he said, we will tell somebody saying, quote, we're reducing your performance by some amount in order to not have an unexpected restart. And if you don't want it, you can turn it off. Now we don't recommend it because we think that people's iPhones are really important to them. And you can never tell when something is so urgent. I mean, that's a little bit of a word salad there, but the the upshot of that is, is we're going to, we're going to let you do it, but please don't.
1: Yeah. In, in the most softest, kindest terms possible, this is saying this is a bad idea. The, uh, they, they are in a bit of a spot, right? They have governments making inquiries about why they're doing this. They have all kinds of people who, who should know better looking into this in the name of defending other people. One of the things that's interesting is that you mentioned DFU Reset, and I'm, I'm a big fan of the functional benefit of that. You know, I was talking with someone who was, was again telling me how wonderful Android is and how Android is a better value for money. And you get, uh, you get more device for your money. You get more options for your money. That it's, there's really, in terms of two things that are commodities in smartphones, that Android is somehow the better value. And I, I said, I have, I understand that your contention is that people buy Apple because fashion, because having the Apple symbol is trendy and because that looks good. Um, but there is a very real benefit to having a DFU reset as an option. And they said, well, what's that? And, and the answer for me is that if I want to reset a phone and restore a phone to a cryptographically signed known secure state, the only device that I can do that with is an Apple iPhone. That if I wanted to try and reset an Android phone to a cryptographically signed known secure state, I can't do it.
0: Well, you can with Knox to some extent, but as far as a, a user doing it on a routine basis, then, you know, your, your assumption is absolutely correct. Try, trying to
1: do this. I've, I've done this with ADB and things like that, mm-hmm. where you push uh, firmwares over the wire from the USB cable to the device. And, you know, you first have to flash recovery and then you have to flash uh, the, the OS load on an Android phone.
0: Right. I didn't say it was a simple process.
1: And doing that means downloading recovery and downloading the OS load from, you know, depending on your provider of the handset, from the source of the handset. And really it's difficult to do that. The the Google distributions give you an FTP site or or a download site Mm -hmm. and you download, you check the MD5 hash to make sure that it's right. But that's not the same as being able to plug in your Apple iPhone, go to Apple configurator on a Mac or to use iTunes on Windows. And have it fetch the signed version of the OS from Apple and load it on there, and it takes care of recovery. It takes care of of the whole thing, and you know that you're in a no good state.
0: Well, semi related to this, for a brief period of time, Apple was signing everything. Uh, that there was, was a six
1: hour window or something right. where they signed old versions of the OS again,
0: and and people were so excited that they could load an old version of their of their iOS on their their iPhone 5C or their 5S or whatever, but. Just from a security standpoint, that's just not a good idea. Well, it's it's interesting from a couple of, of standpoints. One is I,
1: I sure wish I'd known about it because I have a, a first-generation iPhone that I would have loaded back to one mm-hmm. And But I, I missed that window. That would have been fun for historical purposes, but I'm not using that iPhone 1 for anything other than turning it on and demonstrating it's an iPhone 1. So there isn't really a, a security vector to worry about there. Mm-hmm. The the issue is that you're right. There are a number of, of fixes for security vulnerabilities in iOS, and the only way to be sure that you're patched against those is to run the newest one. And while it's fun as a historical exercise to run an older one, you also can't use apps from the App Store. You can't use current apps from the App Store. So you, you really miss out on a lot, especially for apps that use web services or AWS, and those things change on the back end so that the app breaks it, it's more of a curiosity thing than any real benefit. Now, if you were saying that you wanted to load an older OS because you feel like the new ones make your phone slow and you wanted to go back to the prior one, that also is making the mistake because there again, you're gonna break all of your apps and going to end up with a thing that overall functions worse.
0: Yeah, I, I, I cannot stress this enough. If, if you have a device with a good battery, it is moving bits from register to register just as fast as it always has. That it, it's as simple as that. Now, what you're dealing with is you're dealing with the increasing system requirements that a newer version of the OS will put on it. Your phone is exactly the same speed as it used to be, again, assuming that you have a good battery.
1: Right. Now, the thing to say is that you know, comparing old handsets with new handsets, you'll find YouTube videos of this where, where people start up an iPhone 5 and an iPhone 7 and see which one boots faster and and surely the iPhone 7 boots faster but for launching tasks they're nominally the
0: same so it, it i mean i understand where people are saying well i just got this phone 2 years ago but th- this is this is still smartphones are still very much a new frontier
1: well and apple supports a, a phone on average for about 4 years Thereabouts. and by support i mean continues releasing updates for it mm-hmm which is one of the things that Android has quite great difficulties with. And Android 8 is supposed to fix, but Android 8 isn't out in wide enough distribution yet for it to make a difference.
0: So, it, I mean, this is obviously, it's a complicated issue. It, it's And frankly, the battery saga isn't even close to being over.
1: No, but the reason to update your phone is, is for things like another story that we have here that I'll just go ahead and jump to. So there was a, a so-called text bomb. And the text bomb is an idea where someone sends you a text that goes ahead and flips out iMessage or Safari and it can go ahead and hang either of those. It can hang Apple's Messages apps, it can hang all, all of these things. And basically what it's doing is, when someone sends you this kind of text and it hangs Messages and it hangs Safari, uh, because Messages attempts to render a preview of the link, the only thing that you can really do is delete the conversation in which you received the link and start over. And, and people don't like doing that because it deletes their Messages history with that person, but it's that or hang your phone.
0: Well, I think you can be argued if that person sent you the malicious link, and it is the rest of that conversation, really that valuable. It's th- this. I is, don't know about your family, Mike, but. Uh- <laughs> well, my family knows better. Uh-huh. Sure. So, but um, anyway, this is another reason why you keep your phone up to date because the latest beta of iOS 11 point. Oh, geez. What is it? 2.5. 2. That, that point five is throwing me off. But 11.2.5 fixes the mali- fish- The latest beta of 11.2.5 prevents
1: the preview of a malicious link from hanging messages or Safari. There you at go. At least in this case. There you go.
0: My tongue was going but, a little bit faster. I brought it than my home, brain. Mike, was, I got so, it. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, so, I, I, like I said, I, I typically understand where the arguments against doing something that Apple wants you to do come from. But. As far as it being a good idea or not, eh, it's usually not a good idea. So, Right. So
1: good practices are keep your devices up to date, keep your devices in good health, check your battery status, make sure that things are running as they should for tip-top performance. I mean, these
0: things aren't appliances. But they are. Well, they're getting there. (laughs) If, If you treat them as an appliance, they won't last as long as if you don't. Like you and I have both done service and how many machines have been brought in caked with dust?
1: Uh, the worst is the cat hair.
0: And, oh, oh yeah, cat hair. That stuff is the worst. But anyway. The
1: cat and the dog hair that's completely blocked a fan from spinning so the processor can't cool. There
0: you go. So And yeah. we all have stories like that. If you've done any time in a service bay at all, you've, you've got cigarette smoke tar, you've got goo, you've got whatever. But a, I, a I once
1: years ago got a free television, a CRT tube television. Mm-hmm. And this was before the HD changeover. And it was a Sony Trinitron, and it was fantastic. And the complaint was that it just couldn't be seen anymore. And you take the tube apart, and you scrape off all the tar inside, and suddenly you have a perfect bright picture again.
0: Yeah, so just a little bit of preventative maintenance on your machines. The Apple Store, once they're done with this battery flood right now, you can make appointments for them to de-dust your machine. Now for a phone that's not exactly required but no th- I mean this is for a Mac but on a phone right. paying attention to your battery and you know maybe not dunking it in water and cleaning out your lightning port every once in a while with a toothpick or things like that. I mean there are things Compressed you can air. do with the Compressed phone.
1: Compressed air works wonders.
0: It does, but I, yeah, compressed air on the lightning port. I'm not super excited about right now. I, th- I'm I'm less a
1: fan of the physical intervention of a toothpick. You know, if you if you mess up a connector or something in there,
0: yeah, that's really hard. I, I'm assuming you're not using a stainless steel toothpick. If you're using a wood toothpick, you're much better off. But um, and you know, users like I know users and people will do the craziest. Well, don't possible. use a stainless so. steel toothpick on your lightning port. How about that? Use a wood one. Yeah. So and no no solvents. Don't use solvents in there. But yeah, I nice mean, soft some, plastic, you know, just, something, yeah. something gentle. Yeah. Just some basic maintenance will go a long way toward keeping these devices running for a very long time. And replacing a chemically depleted battery is one of those things. Yeah. Old toothbrush is also a good one. Oh yeah. That would work very well too. I haven't tried that. I'll have to try that. Old toothbrush where you just move the
1: bristles around inside mm-hmm. the port. We'll clean all the stuff out and it's, it's slightly physical to it, but not, not like a wooden toothpick.
0: Yeah, if if you've got a if you've got a form-fitting case in your iPhone, just kind of peel it back and look at just kind of the accumulated goo that's on the edge of the case. Yeah, that's all up in your Lightning port too. So.
1: Yep. Well, and pocket lint. Yeah. Everything else. Yeah. Enough of that nasty discussion. I'm going to change gears completely, and we're going to talk about Apple's push into content. Apple, Apple. So you know we've seen that Amazon is producing shows, and we know that next Netflix is producing original content. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yahoo for years had community when they tried to push into original content. Um, Apple has leased 200,000 square feet of real estate in Culver city, California, which is, is more or less Los Angeles to expand its efforts producing original video. So they've got that. They've got another 185,000 square feet of real estate. They're going to be basically, um, picking up this this four-story building that was originally going to become HBO's
0: new headquarters. Yeah, I don't even know why HBO ditched on the building, but they did. And now Apple's moving in. And you couple this with everything else that they're talking about, with three things from Reese Witherspoon's production company, Amazing Stories reboot, the um, the guy from Star Trek, I forget his name right now. He's got a sci-fi... Abrams, J.J. F- Abrams. Now, the other Star Trek guy, the guy that did Battlestar Galactica too. Um, there's a sci-fi show from there. There's JJ Abrams sci-fi show with, you know, guaranteed lens flare on that. (laughs) I mean, they're doing, they're doing a lot of moves and these aren't. Well, and they've got Kristen Wiig signed up too. Right. With that, with the sketch comedy show, with that 10 episode sketch comedy show that came out this week. There's a big push. And what exactly Apple is going to do with this is not super clear. Are they going to bundle it with Apple music? Are they going to have their own video service with just their Apple produced videos you and I have talked about this a little bit before, I, I want to say two weeks ago, but this, this is a lot of money and this is a giant, giant push that we're not going to see immediate dividends from. If any of these shows come out this year, I'd be very surprised. Oh, I don't think they will. I mean, it's it's entirely possible
1: that we could see something in the fall, but I I think it's, it's uh, you know, show, shows take a while to get produced, right? I, we,
0: not having done one, I would assume so. Okay.
1: Okay. I, I, I'm going to dig into this. I've got some folks that I can call on to, to ask questions about, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to find out how long it takes to get a show into production from once you start assembling a script. Okay. Because we presume that that's a good place to start, right? You can't do anything unless you've got a writer's room. So I'll, I'll ask. I've got some friends that are are writers and I'll figure it out.
0: As a side effect, what's happening is because of these Apple produce shows is it's pushing up actors' salaries, the, uh, the show Big Little Lies on HBO, the second season, the Kidman and Witherspoon are getting about a $750,000 per episode raise just because of the pressure that Apple is putting on Hollywood and, and what Apple is doling out cash-wise.
1: You know, and this is something that happens when anyone tries to enter a, a, a space, um, e- even unrelated to content. I was over in Israel. As you know, and Amazon is making a big push to come in there for developers. And so all of a sudden all of the developer salaries are, are bumping way up over there. Because Amazon is coming in and they want to attract talent and so they're offering more. And so once they offer more, they place the pressure on the market to also match that. Yeah, so it's it's I find it to be very cool that salaries are increasing, not because actors need more or actors are grossly underpaid, but because you know, we've talked before and and seen one of the big conversations be this year about, and last year even, about equity of pay and, you know, the, the attention that gets paid to what actors and actresses make. So the idea that Apple is changing that landscape leads me hope for things to be a little more uh, equity paid out and for it to really change the ecosystem for TV actors as a whole.
0: Well, this is another example of just in general, what Apple does is they may not be first to market with something, but they shake the tree a bit and they refine the the whole paradigm of when, when they jump into a market of what, what happens. They change the economics of it. They change best practices. They change all kinds of things once they decide to get into a market. And we're in the very early stages of this with Hollywood. And it's going to be an interesting watch, not necessarily the shows, mind you, but the but the effect it has on the entire video production industry.
1: Yeah, and you raise a good point about first to market. Uh, years ago, I was having uh, a dinner with some family friends who are marketers and they were talking about Samsung Watch and stuff like this. And I said, yes, but the Apple Watch is, is going to be a big deal. And they said, how do you know? They're late, they're not first. And I said, first doesn't matter if you're best. And, and there are a lot of times where best products don't win, but if you're the last one, and you're 10 times better, you eat everything. Mm -hmm. So, and the the truth is that this is a very nascent market for TV programming. There's a whole lot of stuff that has to be hashed out to find who's best. And we have a lot of entrants, right? Hulu's trying to do a live video and their interface is a nightmare. Amazon is trying to surface their live content better now.
0: Yeah, well, and just today, Amazon said that they were going to go for blockbuster films instead of what they're doing now. So what that means, I'm not entirely sure.
1: Although they had some great Emmy winners, right? right. The, the marvelous Ms. Maisel was good. Um, so it's it's interesting to see where this is going. PlayStation View has their local TV programming. Mm-hmm. DirecTV Now is trying their hand at it. Um we're still not sure exactly how the, the effect of zero rating is going to work out in their favor following the FCC rule change. So there's a lot going on here, and there's a lot for for things to still materialize. There's a lot of time for things yeah. to still change mm-hmm. within. Now, we left out one note about the battery story when we were talking about oh, it. Yeah. I just want to cover it because <laughs> you had a good suggestion from one of our, our readers.
0: I've been itching about this one, too. I should have I spoke know, up. I know, so
1: I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull it back up just so that you can get this word in. Uh, <laughs> The iPhone slowdown class action lawyers have been making demands that Apple retain the swapped batteries because they're, they're considering it as evidence in their lawsuits, right? They want Apple to retain the old batteries that it swaps out along with a request to hand over any diagnostic data that Apple produces relating to the batteries. And, and while that sounds like a total, totally normal request from the standpoint of retain the evidence so that we have our case, it doesn't take into account that these batteries are, are inherently dangerous. Yeah, right. You're talking about a device that stores kinetic energy, and that device is
0: unstable. So it's this is just such a bizarre thing. So, Decello, Levitt, and Casey filed a motion for a preliminary injunction in, in the Northern in the Northern District Court of California. And what they demanded is they demanded that Apple should hold on to all of the old batteries, like you said, and so they can be used to see if the batteries are faulty from the get go. Well. This, we spoke with Apple about it. I spoke with my sources inside Apple and he, the guy just laughed. He said, it was ridiculous. It was a ridiculous thing to ask because it was just inherently dangerous because of the flammable electrolyte in the, in, in all of the lithium ion batteries. So one of our, one of our former forum goers said that we should just pull up a dump truck to the lawyer's office and say, here you go. You hold them. And how many batteries a day is Apple replacing? I don't know. Do you? You can't get a you can't get a Genius Bar appointment at the at the Apple stores for uh, in less than four days for love or money around here. And when the appointments go up at three o'clock in the morning, they're full by seven. So, if you need that Genius Bar appointment, you better be up between three and seven in this area to get it. This is a lot of batteries. So, why they're expecting that Apple could even safely retain these is completely bizarre. Just, it's completely beyond the realm of reason. It's, it's certainly problematic
1: to, to propose that, right? Because you, you need to think about what safe storage looks like, what safe disposal looks like, all these kinds of things that Apple certainly has taken into account, but the, the law offices probably have not.
0: So Well, I'm pretty sure they have, and they just don't care. The, this seems more like a tactic to try and get a payment early rather than mm-hmm. anything else. I'm not yeah. convinced that that is anything more than that, or they're expecting to learn anything from batteries. How do you, How do you decide if a battery that's been in use for three years was somehow faulty from the get-go? How do you know that the user didn't leave it in their freezing and hot car all day and all night? How do you know the user didn't juggle the phone or use that app to see how high you could throw a phone based on the camera? I mean, how do you know? So it's just, it's just not a reasonable request to make it just in no way. And the only people who are going to make any money on any of these is the lawyers. So congratulations, Apple Insider listener. You could possibly pile onto a class action suit and get a $10 iTunes gift gift card in five years while the lawyers are making millions of dollars off of this. Maybe. So, yep. There you go. It's that time again when we
1: give you a word from our sponsors. And I want to point out, if you have a message that you'd like to get out, please feel free to contact us. And for a modest sum, you too can run an advertisement on the Apple Insider Podcast. If you have something you want to say, if you think we've done something wrong and you want to run an ad, please let us know. If you have a service that you want to tell people about, we're happy to share it with all of our most handsome and most well-educated listeners. And now, a word from our sponsor. So Pitney Bowes is the industry leader in mailing and shipping solutions. No matter what you send or how often, Pitney Bowes has the solution that precisely fits your needs. You can weigh, print, mail, and you save. You you and your business will save time and money when you print postage. You won't need to wait in line at the post office. You won't have to worry about putting the correct amount of postage on your letter or package. And starting January 21st, the the USPS mailing and shipping costs are going to go up. But you'll save 3 cents per letter with the Pitney Bowes solution. And these discounts aren't things you can get at the post office. But by using Pitney Bowes' service, you will save the money. Whether you're sending a letter or a package, you'll be paying less and saving money. So plans start at $5 a month. And for our listeners, Pitney Bowes is offering a free trial, so you're sure to find the solution that's right for you and your business. Visit pb.com slash insider to learn more and try it for free. That's pb.com slash insider. And we thank them for sponsoring this podcast.
0: Okay, what's next? Well...
1: You know, the things that I didn't really want to talk about, but we must talk about. Oh, dear. Right. The the Republican tax reform (laughs) has had an impact on Apple's plans. And so following the announcement, uh, Apple is going to repatriate a big chunk of its overseas cash to bring about $350 billion into the U.S. economy over the next five years. In addition to that, the, the company expects to pay about $38 billion in taxes on these repatriated funds, which is the largest ever of its kind, they're saying, and that this change allowed for that huge capital commitment. Um, some of these changes, Tim Cook said, would happen in any situation. There are large parts of this that are a result of the tax reform. There's large parts that they would have done anyway. Cook explained that there are two parts to the tax bill. There's a corporate piece and an individual piece, and he thinks the corporate tax side is going to result in job creation. And that they're going to bring the money back to the U.S., they're going to uh, pay those taxes, and they're also looking at potentially creating jobs. And, and one of the numbers that we've seen bandied about is around 20,000. So it, it looks as if there may be the generation of about 20,000 jobs and that some of this money that's repatriated will also go towards creating a new campus. So let's talk about that new campus, Mike.
0: Yeah. Well, Apple, here's the thing with Apple. They've got facilities everywhere. There's a facility in Texas. There's a facility. Well, now there's one in Los Angeles. There's, uh, there's one, there's data centers in Oregon and there's one in South Carolina, mm-hmm. I, no, 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 I mean there's these
1: No, Mike, Mike, Mike. North
0: Carolina. North, made excuse in North Carolina. Me, excuse me. Made in you're right. Made in North Carolina. My my fault. And Reno, Nevada. And and Reno, Nevada. Is that one open? That must be open by now. I believe so. So, I mean, so Apple already has these massive structures all over the United States. And now they're talking about another campus somewhere else in the United States that's not going to be in California, they said. And that's great. It's good that they're looking. They have have offices in Florida as well. That's where a lot of the graphics uh, production is. Well, they have offices in Virginia. Government sales. Government sales and support. I mean, so they, they still have these massive these massive cores of people employed here and there and everywhere in the United States. So uh, my question on all this is they're talking about this new campus. What, what size of campus are we talking about and what is it going to do? Uh, Is it going to be like a second class campus as compared to the spaceship? I mean, how is, how is this all going to interrelate? That's the more important part of this. And we just don't know. We don't really know anything about this new campus. And it's great that he's talking about it. And it's great that he wants to do it, but without more detail, I'm not sure exactly who should get all riled up about it just yet? I mean Amazon is still shopping around their second campus.
1: I was going to say Amazon did it first, Mike.
0: Well, they're well they're still working on it and <laughs> I actually they've got it narrowed down to da, 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 da. I actually looked at this a little bit earlier today. Give me the cities, Mike. I'm working on it. Hang on. Let's see potential Amazon headquarters sites Atlanta, Austin, Boston, Chicago, Columbus, Dallas, Denver, Indianapolis, Los Angeles, Miami, Montgomery County in Maryland, Nashville, Newark, New York City, Northern Virginia, uh, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, Raleigh, Toronto and Washington DC. Wait, what what did you say? Did you say Raleigh? Raleigh, yes.
1: Do you mean Raleigh? I'm a Yankee. <laughs> Uh, just, I, I heard that go by as Raleigh, and I'm sorry, but it's it's Raleigh. Raleigh. I mean, that's, that's where I'm calling in from, Mike. Pittsburgh, Raleigh, <laughs> Toronto, and Washington, D.C. How about that? Okay. So, the first thing I would say is that they have a lot more narrowing down to do. To say that they've narrowed it down to this list of, like, 20 is um, – <laughs>
0: Well, now we play the game of who's going to give the most benefits. And I'm, I'm wondering if Apple is just going to plunk down their, their, their headquarters, their, their second headquarters, whatever they're going to call it, just decree, this is where we're putting it. So shall it be boom right here. Or they're going to go through this reverse bidding process where they see how little they get hammered on taxes first.
1: There are a lot of things that go into this. And one of those is the tax equation, like you say. The other thing that goes into it is if they're going to be bringing people to this place rather than just hiring locals, which which happens also. But, but you know, honestly, they say they create 500 local jobs, but they bring a lot of people with them in a reload effort. Mm-hmm. Um. Where are they bringing them to? Are they bringing them to a place that rates on the top 10 list of places to live in America? Are they bringing them to uh, a place with one of the the you know the top 15 schools in America for school districts? Um, all, all these other kinds of considerations get made, not just who's going to give me the lowest tax bill. Well, I, because I, yes. you want to have employees actually enjoy and, and be excited about that reload effort. Uh,
0: on the other hand, Apple brought an awful lot of money to, to made and they brought an awful lot of money even before the Facebook data center in Prineville, Oregon. So, I mean, there's there's a lot to be said about Apple employees and Apple money kickstarting the local area. Yes,
1: but some of those things have to be in place or, first. Uh,
0: yes, and I, yeah, I mean, I get that. I mean, there's there's a lot of factors that are gonna be involved here. But you know,
1: no no one's no one's saying we're gonna put this thing in downtown Detroit, and its employees <laughs> are throwing up their hands and saying happy about it. Right?
0: Well, you yeah. <laughs> know. So it's, th- I, this will be, this will be a, the new building. The new headquarters, Apple's building is going to be like, it's going to be covered like Apple Park has been. It's going to be a five-year saga and you're going to, you're first going to hear about the, actually Apple Park was longer than that. Apple Park was Steve Jobs presented it before the Cupertino town council in what year? 2008? Mm, so
1: No, no, no. 2010. In
0: 2010. So this has still been a
1: seven-year saga. It was it was one of the last public appearances that Steve Jobs ever gave. Yeah, so
0: this this has still been a very this has still been a very long a very long thing. And this is exactly how this is gonna play out. So p- looking at social media, people who are talking about, oh my god, there's gonna be new Apple headquarters in a year, they just finished the last one. Well, yeah, you know, it's gonna be like a decade. It's closer to a decade than a year.
1: It's and, and, and as you say, we don't know the purpose of it. We don't know if it's actually gonna be an HQ two or if it's simply a large office. But the thing is is that Apple, when they're talking about something like this, or when the rumors support something like this, is they, they don't really make a big announcement about opening an office for government sales and support in Virginia. No. Right? They don't really make a lot of noise mm-hmm. about having an office in Florida where GPU work is done. Right. They don't really make a big deal about Apple offices in Austin, for example, you know, or the the data center opening thing is interesting because data services and cloud services have been one of their historic weaknesses. Mm-hmm. And so by opening these centers, they get a lot of attraction and, and, and from, you know, attention on them, but the, the, we're opening a warehouse in Reno, Nevada is kind of like a one day story.
0: I'm going to make a bold prediction right now, and let's come back to this in about a year. I'm going to say that not only is Apple going to pick the Northern Virginia, Washington, DC metro area. I think that Amazon is going to also. Interesting. And I know you favor that because that's where you Well, are, I don't. I actually don't but... want them here. I actually would rather they go <laughs> I mean, someplace else, but th- that's not- Traffic t- and right.
1: property values and all of that kind of stuff make it an interesting interesting. I, I, I think
0: it's got more to do with the existing internet infrastructure than it does anything else. There are massive data centers out in Dulles- there, uh, yeah. it's, there are, there's a lot of inter- infrastructure around here. Now, keep in mind, I don't think they're going to plunk down the headquarters in Washington, DC. I think it's going to be like in Manassas, Virginia or something like that. I, I don't think it's going to be inside the beltway. I think it's going to be outside the beltway and by like 20 miles, but I, I think they're both coming here. Uh, my prediction is that they're both coming here. What
1: do you think? Mm-hmm. You don't think there'd be something weird like Wisconsin because that's where Foxconn planted No,
0: themselves. I don't think so. Yeah, the Wisconsin deal was, uh, hmm. that. I'm just throwing that out that there. That still I mean, remains to be seen if that's going to be a good deal for Wisconsin or not. Uh, well, frankly, the Amazon and Apple headquarters. Remains to be
1: seen whether it's a good deal for Foxconn
0: uh, or not. Yeah, that too. It, it, it's <laughs> The Apple headquarters and the Amazon headquarters, those are, hmm, those, yeah. I mean, there's going to be a lot to be told. There's a lot of questions that, that you as listeners have and that I have as on the other side of the keyboard have as well. And we're going to try and get them for you as soon as we can.
1: Right. So that's real civilization. Let's talk about fantasy civilization from mm-hmm. Aspire has shipped Civ 6. Uh, they have a fall 2017 update for Mac OS, and there is now a list of games that support metal API.
0: Yeah. The civilization patch is, is good in itself. It, it adds a lot to the game and fixes a lot of things that weren't quite right with the game civilization 4 and civilization 5 did very much the same thing where the games as they shipped and the games as they finished were entirely different and they changed along the way so and i expect the same to be said about civilization 6 but the mac gamer hq piece about existing mac games that support metal yeah that's worth a look because i didn't even know that a lot of these titles supported metal already and that more had announced that it was coming
1: the benefit of metal is is that you're really talking to the hardware directly that instead of being mitigated by OS layers and API layers and things like this, so so being able to address the graphics system directly means that the game can run as much as fifty percent faster mm-hmm. rendering. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious about this from a standpoint of external GPUs, which you've been developing stories on.
0: Yeah, it's actually on my work list. I looked at this list and said, "Huh, I'm I've got some of these games, and I'm going to take a look at them now with a different eye regarding the regarding the list." I mean, some of the games on this list. Deus Ex and Bioshock, Re- BioShock Remastered, and th- there's just a ton of stuff on this list. Dirt Rally, World of Warcraft, got Metal Support in 2016. You know, X Plane 11 is coming short is coming shortly for. Uh, it- Metal support for X Plane Eleven is coming soon. Armor Three, Starcraft Two was added. It's been added in beta since January of last year, but it hasn't come out of beta yet. There's a lot more adoption of this than I thought there was, and that that's actually really, really good and, and very, very promising. Definitely good news
1: for for Apple fans who want to play games, mm-hmm. which has traditionally been a sort of of chicken and egg problem and a a frustrating thing for the Mac gamer
0: yeah steam was the best thing for this not the mac app store like apple was hoping i think but with the with the dual play on steam where where can they can host both the windows version and the mac version addition to any linux version that may exist i i think that this is just uh, this it's a good time to be a mac gamer not a bad time you know my my pile of shame on steam is terrible (laughs) it's just awful and I'll I'll get a game, you know, I'll say, oh my God, this game is only $3. It's 90% off. I have to buy it and then I won't play it. And, but there's, there's just a wealth of stuff to play.
1: I'm slightly worse than you. So I, I got halfway through assembling a steam box and, uh, and stopped. And I was going to only get the games that worked on steam on, on steam OS. Mm -hmm. And I, like I say, I've got a GPU, I've got a case, I've got a power supply. I I need to get a modern motherboard and and CPU and some Ram.
0: Uh, You know, you know, I did, and this is kind of terrible too i have a NUC now i have an intel NUC with thunderbolt port okay and so i'm gonna take my my vega card in my in my EGPU and i'm just gonna move that thunderbolt port over when i want to try something on windows <laughs> so i might as well yeah. it's you know i'm gonna hang my head in shame that i'm not you know devoted to mac gaming exclusively but part and parcel of the job is knowing the differences so here i am Right, and that's
1: the difficulty we use, we go to when we're going to play Cuphead or or Bioshock Remastered, I guess. <laughs> all right, let's talk HomePod. Yep. So, first of all, a quick sum up of the space at, uh, at CES. There was a big battle between Google and Amazon over assistance there. A ton of products, as last year, supported Amazon Alexa. This year, the change was that instead of just supporting a skill with Amazon Alexa, that Alexa was integrated into the device. Google Home, for its matter, is doing some of that. But Google decided to plant a a representative in every booth that supported a Google product. And so everywhere you went, there were people in white jumpsuits talking about the Google Assistant.
0: (laughs) I can't, you know, I heard about that and you told me about that last week and I just couldn't even... I couldn't even imagine it. I mean just the investment in manpower alone, just to oh, just yeah. to populate these booths is incredible. It is. But it it made a real difference in that
1: if you had no idea what Google Assistant was, you now knew it was everywhere. Right. Visually, you knew how big it was because you couldn't escape it. There were people in white jumpsuits <laughs> everywhere.
0: White jumpsuits. No, no, seriously, <laughs> no. it was uh
1: it was white coveralls like you'd use for a mechanic except white. It sounds like white, the
2: worst wardrobe choice Google- ever.
1: With the with the Google Assistant logo on uh. the back and a Hey Google hat, uh, <laughs> the the whole thing, and and they would tell you all about how Google Assistant was used. Uh. Yep.
0: Okay. Yeah, it's not yep. it's not the strangest thing we've ever seen at CES, I guess. Well, they also had
1: giant um, gumball machines. And you'd, you'd stand in line for 30 minutes to an hour to, to do this gumball machine test. And before you got your gumball, you'd insert a giant coin, like a hilarious 1966 Batman-sized giant oh, coin. Oh, nice. And then have to choose a Hey Google question to ask its assistant, and then it would dispense the giant gumball, also 1966 Batman-sized, and inside was a, a voucher for a product. And you'd walk over to the desk next to the g- gumball machine, and they'd hand you your product. And so they were giving out Google Home cameras, and they were giving out thermostats, and they were giving out all this stuff. Okay, uh, You know, pixel buds, the whole thing.
0: I, I, I'm i speechless. I You know, that seems like an awfully roundabout way to go about it. But, you know, I guess brand if awareness trying, is brand awareness.
1: You're trying to attract attention. You're trying to show that you're at CES, and you're trying to show that your assistant is every bit as well-distributed as the competition, even if it's well, not. Well, it worked. It did. So, money well spent, I, I guess. Yes. Meanwhile, Apple's been spending money on shipping HomePod. And we have a report that the HomePod is finally getting out of production and shipping. So, the notion here, the, the information that we have, is that Inventec has produced a shipment of 1 million speakers. Uh, this is according to the Taipei Times. It's not clear how Foxconn's doing a production, if they've already shipped or not, we don't know. But the the HomePod is going to ship. It's going to launch, and it looks like it's happening soon. Okay. Now, we, we get a lot of this from our readers, where but it's not the same product. It's not the same market. Don't even speak about Amazon Alexa in the same breath as HomePod. And, and yes, we get that it's a $350 product. Yes, we get that it's about playing music and that Siri is just there along for the ride. For the Apple fan, that's how it's positioned. And for the Apple fan, that's how they're they're firmly planting their foot in the ground and saying, no, it's not an, a smart assistant speaker. But you and I both know that it, it's got Siri along for the ride. It's going to control HomeKit stuff. It's going to answer all the questions that Siri can answer currently, and you hope more, as opposed to I found this on the web. Well, It, yeah. it is – a voice-enabled smart assistant speaker.
0: I, I think it's version 1.0 of a product where the hardware will stay static, but the software will change over the next three years dramatically. Almost to the point where it's unrecognizable from the first release.
1: I certainly hope that it does. And we saw that same kind of progression with the Apple Watch, for that matter. So so you've got a history mm-hmm. for it. The The classic question that we've asked repeatedly is, at 350 is it too expensive compared to the rest of the smart speakers? And And people say, but it's a music speaker. At the same time, we've got readers in our forums going, yeah, it's it's a music speaker, but I've got a pair of focals that'll carry way the heck better than that.
0: And and that's fine. But this is the same question is, is $1,000 too much for a smartphone? There are products that already exist in this price band to do this kind of well, thing. So I, I, I think that Apple will sell as many as they sell and they won't care.
1: I feel like it's not exactly the same question by the token that everyone needs a smartphone where – not everyone needs a high quality music speaker. There are tons of people who are happy to listen on crappy earbuds, $10 earbuds mm-hmm. to YouTube. So I, I feel like it's a much smaller market than the market of people that need a $1,000 smartphone.
0: Uh, and you're probably right, which is the reason why they're only shipping 1 million now and between 10 to 12 million in 2018 in total. I, mean, I think that they've probably got demand for this product pretty well sussed out on this. I think that'll be sold out from the get go. When they do finally mm-hmm. launch pre orders. And I think it's gonna be like the AirPods. I think that it's gonna be tough to find at retail for a while. And that's good and bad. It it means that you know Apple didn't saturate the market with them. But on the other hand, it it you, there will be sufficient stories saying can't get an can't get a home pod at retail. If you see it, you better buy it right away. And, yeah. I'm I feel like
1: it's more of the sort of uh, hobby that Apple TV first generation so. was. That seems
0: like a reasonable assumption.
1: Now, talking about Siri and what Siri can or can't do, Siri is going to learn to play news podcasts. So you can go ahead and listen to podcasts through Siri. You can say, Siri, what's the news today? And she'll be playing a news podcast from NPR. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can select Fox News, CNN, or The Post. Uh, selection varies by country, so you could also have BBC Sky News and LBC. It's it's not exactly clear why Apple chose to have Siri play a generic podcast rather than reading news headlines uh but that seems to be what they're doing
0: i'm pretty sure that this is still more oriented toward the home pod than it is the phone
1: yeah well the the you can always say good morning alexa and alexa will read the headlines of the day and you can do something similar with google home mini where you can say you know hey google what's the news of the day and it'll read the headlines to you and Alexa does start playing directly from NPR.
0: So th- I, I feel like this is just more parody-seeking than anything. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a it's a tough one. I'm, I've been thinking about it. I don't think it's a feature, even though you know I do podcasts, I don't think it's a feature that I'm going to specifically use. Because this seems like more, I don't know, of a passive listening feature than an active listening feature. Does that make sense? It does. I would
1: rather have the ability to play podcasts that I had subscribed to than... Right. A News of the day, podcast random from one of, of those th- chosen right. supply. I agree with right? you on that one.
0: I mean, no offense to the guys at nine to five Mac, but if I want to hear Apple news, I'm not going to choose their podcasts over somebody else's. You know, I mean, it, it's I, I feel that you need to be able to actively choose what you're listening to and why you're listening to it as opposed to just randomly getting fed a selection. But that's yeah. just me.
1: It is now CarPlay. We talked about CarPlay from the show. And there have been a couple of CarPlay developments since that. First of all, Toyota, who have long held out and said they were never going to do CarPlay, have finally caved and are going to start shipping CarPlay units in their cars. That's a
0: saga right there in itself. Oh, my gosh. For how long?
1: So we're glad to see that. On the flip side of that, BMW, who for a while held out and then last year finally made it an option. um, Well, actually, no, since 2016, have made CarPlay integration a one-time add-on option. Are now changing that to a subscription model. BMW are planning to charge drivers eighty dollars a year for CarPlay access.
0: Yeah, I, this, mm, I, I this stinks. I really don't like this. I, I think that this is. I think that this is bad. I think that people saying it's BMW trying to nickel and dime us for this. It, I don't think it is. Yeah, it is. But I, I'm not sure that this isn't pocket change for BMW in that regard. I think this has got more to do with leasing the BMW than anything else. I, I think that they're trying to capture money from the car play feature for both from people who lease the car for four years, as well as the people who get the car after those four years are up. But I, I still don't think it's a good move. I, I, it's well, their spokesperson said that it allows the cons-
1: consumer to switch devices that people buy CarPlay and think it's okay, but then they stop using it or they switch to Android. And, and this seems like a poorly thought out quote, because yeah. we know that Honda and pioneer and Alpine and a bunch of people Both OEMs and aftermarket have been shipping units that do both Android Auto and CarPlay. So the notion that you would want to rent it so that you could stop and switch to the other flavor is also poorly thought out.
0: And I agree with the poorly thought out part of that. This is... Yeah, the, the messaging on this is really confused. And if you're already dropping $60,000 on a car, why not just spend $60,000 on another car that has both... You're right, has both Android Auto and CarPlay from the get-go. It's just... I don't think this is going to make or break any sales for BMW, but it's just got bad optics.
1: If I were in the market, I, I would absolutely break the sale for BMW for, for this. There's just... So, this is another discussion I was having with someone that, that, you know, they were disappointed that they're the car enthusiast. They had said, I'm a car enthusiast, and all of the advertising has shifted to infotainment. It's not about valves. It's not about horsepower. It's not about speed. It's not about braking ability. It's not about any of the things that really made me passionate about cars. And I said, well, you're missing out, because for the past 10 years, cars have not been vehicles. They've been rolling entertainment systems. Yeah. And. AirPlay and CarPlay and Android Auto are just the latest evolution of that because the OEM screwed up the infotainment system so badly that Apple and and Google had room to take it over.
0: Well, let, let me let me clarify a remark then. It, it it wouldn't be a deal breaker for me necessarily because I'm not really in the market for a BMW more than anything else. I I, I think that if I were, yeah, yeah, I think that the BMW mindset. I, I'm not sure that it makes that much of a difference. I'm not sure that I mean while I feel eighty bucks coming out of my check for you know for something I should have got with the purchase of the car a year later I'm not convinced that the target market we're talking about here for $80,000 and up on a car is going to even notice that
1: yes and no because it's it's interesting so they did a survey a few years ago asking luxury car owners in this price point whether they would accept self-driving cars or automated driving as an option or if it had to be integrated into the car purchase. And they absolutely said, it's not an option. It's something that must be integrated into the car purchase. It's not that they can't afford the options or afford the subscription. It's about the user expectation for what should be there by default. And the fact that it is not is an offense.
0: Okay, I'll go with that. I mean, I
1: I don't... It's it's not the money. It's it's the affront to my sensibilities sure. as, and expectations. I, you know, I have how dare you not ship? I this? have firm
0: opinions on many things, but I don't think this is one of them. I mean, this is th- this is interesting to me from a reporting perspective, but corporate missteps. Come on, they happen all the time, and if if a cell phone company can survive exploding cell phones and they can still have a viable product after a hundred and four known complaints in just the United States, Samsung, I'm talking to you, then BMW mm. will survive this because it's not even a life or limb kind of thing. Oh, they will survive it, but it is deadly stupid. Oh, well, oh yeah, it's definitely stupid. There's there's a lot of stupid to go around though.
1: But you can recover from stupid, as you no, said yeah. with Samsung, and and as you as we talked about with uh, Toyota shipping CarPlay finally. What? They have not announced Android Auto support, but it's yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's expected. Yeah, it's,
0: I mean, yeah, that's inevitable.
1: Yeah. They're also going to have Alexa integration so you can start the engine and remotely lock and unlock the doors and, and check your fuel level, which is handy. You know, if you're sitting inside the house on a cold day with three inches of snow, being able to say start the
0: engine. Yeah, yeah. No, Speaking three of three inches idea. of snow, you have about three inches of snow, don't you? Three to four Christ, right now. tell you what. Mm -hmm. And whereas they canceled, they delayed school for two hours here in Northern Virginia with the lightest of dustings.
1: So we, we used to get that, but the county that we're in school district that we're in has become gun shy because canceling school has a big financial impact. Um, They would rather wait until the very last minute after every other nearby count he has already canceled and then make the decision.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We are people all around the country right now are shaking their head. Yes. Yes. And people in new England right now are going, you people are lunatics.
1: Well, when I was growing up, we didn't close schools unless the door was frozen shut with, uh, snow halfway up the door.
0: Yeah. I, I grew up in Massachusetts. So, you know, it's the same situation here. I, I got a, they canceled school in Massachusetts. I mean, we're off, off. obviously this is now the apple insider off topic podcast. But they we'll canceled school there. in Massachusetts the day before, and they got three inches of snow the next day. So my Massachusetts buddies are all like, "What in the heck is this? <laughs> <laughs> <Excuse me. laughs> three inches of snow, and you're canceling school the day before? Come on!" You know. Yeah, and they're right. They're right. But it's very regional, right? You have oh, to sure. have
1: services that are able of accommodating it. You, you, you have to have, have the to ability have... and the
0: skill to deal with it, right?
1: Well, there's there's ability and skill. There's gauging not whether or not it's safe for you to drive, but whether it's safe for you to be out on the road with a bunch of other idiots who don't know how to drive. Yeah, that's my
0: biggest issue, honestly. And there's,
1: you know, are the power and light crews out picking up downed wires? Has Mm -hmm. the DOT salted the roads? Have they cleared the roads, right? And if you don't have the infrastructure to support those things, then three inches can be a lot more drastic in, in one location than it is in another that does have those services.
0: So like Apple battle, Apple battery crises, snow closures are complicated.
1: Yeah. And other things that are complicated, uh, Google Cast, for example. So Google Chromecast, which is not just in the Chromecast devices, but is also in a lot of third-party products like the Vizio soundbars or Vizio TVs and, and, and things like this, um, has an issue where when a device has gone into sleep mode and wakes up, it floods the network of the packets trying to reconnect.
0: Uh, yeah, it, it's a, I'm, we're not going to delve into the technical reasons why it happens. Some third-party routers from TP-Link and Netgear and Synology actually crash, necessitating you got to cycle your router to fix the problem, or they're sufficiently degraded that you have to do it anyway. Now with an airport extreme it does slow down for a little bit. Like for instance we had about 2 minutes of slowdown after a chromecast that had been sleeping for 12 hours flooded the network with packets. But after it only been sleeping for about an hour it didn't really it, it I really had to watch the benchmarks to see any impact at all on it. Mm-hmm. So once again the airport is safe and your third party router may necessarily not be but this kind of goes back to quality control and software, and Apple's been getting dinged for it and Google for some reason really isn't even though they should be the the Chromecast with them is just the latest quality control issue that they've had. There have been more uh, in the last couple of months. It's just this is just an industry trend that I don't like
1: mm-hmm.
0: So well, I yeah, mean I. Google- I yeah, I understand that maybe the testing is different once a million people start using your product instead of just say ten thousand beta testers. But I, I, this just this just seems bad, just in general.
1: Well, the other thing is is testing in the situations like your users test in. You know, one of the things that we used to hammer Google about ages ago was the notion that they only tested on the very newest handsets or they mm-hmm. only tested in situations where they had dual twenty four inch screens. And the vast majority of people do not have dual monitors. Mm,
0: true but enough. But all
1: their engineers did, so it seemed like a reasonable thing to do. You know, it's it's one of these things where test is hard and they probably didn't put the Chromecast into sleep to realize what happens after it wakes.
0: Or they use their own routers which aren't subject to they're subject to slowdown, but not crashing.
1: Right. So that's it. You can DDoS yourself by running a home entertainment system. <laughs>
0: That sounds terrible, but yeah, I mean, it's not really that distributed. You know exactly where it's coming from, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, with any luck, they're going to fix this in software very soon. The router manufacturers have already started rolling out patches. So your router doesn't crash. It's not going to fix the slowdown. There's nothing. The only people that can fix the slowdown is Google. And Google says that we're aware that a small number of users are having issues and our team is working quickly to share a solution. Well, my Chromecast did it. So I'm pretty sure that everyone's having some kind of issue. It's just got to get resolved. Up next,
1: we're going to have an interview from CES. I I got to interview a number of people out there. I got to interview folks from Honeywell. I got to interview folks from Peloton. And we're going to run the Honeywell interview. I spoke with Honeywell all about their home security system that they're introducing that's going to be HomeKit compatible. Please stay tuned for that. And thank you very much. Welcome back to this segment of the Apple Insider Podcast. I'm Victor. and I'm here with Scott Harkins of Honeywell.
2: Scott, thank you so much for making time for this. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. How is 2018 CAS for you? It's, uh, it's, it's as usual, pretty cool. It's one of my favorite events of the year. A lot of cool technology uh, on behalf of Honeywell. I think we're launching a uh, kind of repositioning ourselves in the space as a smart home leader now. Pretty excited.
1: One of the things that, that I heard about that really excited me was the idea of a consumer level install
2: home security product. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me about what Honeywell's introducing? Yeah, absolutely. So this past fall in November 17, we launched uh, an Indiegogo campaign for a new product that we call the smart home security system. Uh, we'll start shipping those products um, in the next few weeks and be in the general market probably in the next couple of months. Uh, What Smart Home Security product is an all-in-one device that includes a full wireless security system, a camera, high-definition camera, um, Z-Wave, and voice controls. So it can do a lot of different things for the consumer, very easy to install, and it's part of the Lyric family of products, so it works with the Lyric app, Um, which means not only can you control security, but you control our our C uh, family camera of um, Wi-Fi cameras. Our water leak detectors and our family of Lyric thermostats. So, pretty cool product uh, that we're super excited about. It does, you know, the thing that gets me excited is six ways for a consumer to interact with it. They can interact with it via touch, via an app. They can interact with it via sight. It has a camera with facial recognition, so causing things to happen when it recognizes who you are. It can interact by uh, voice. I can talk to the product and make it do things like turn the alarm system on or turn lights on or off. Uh, It can uh, track where you're at via our geofencing services, so when I'm not home, it can make sure it controls the house in a certain way, and when I am home, it can get it set up on my travel uh, back to my home. And of course, as you might expect, time or schedule-based stuff and event-based stuff, but really cool, very consumer-friendly, and frankly, we thought of the consumer first in every aspect of the product, so we're really excited about it. can, can I ask, forgive me for just a second, why why Indiegogo? Yeah, so it's something very different for Honeywell, right? We went to Indiegogo because we wanted to build a relationship with a small group of consumers that we can maintain over a long time. So we didn't, we didn't actually have to be funded, as you might expect, we're a $40 billion company. We didn't need the startup funding. What we wanted is a really tight relationship with early adopter, forward tech thinking kind of customers. That were willing to provide us feedback for the long term so as we add new features we can communicate with them we can you know have a one-on-one personal uh, relationship with a few hundred as opposed to trying to do it across tens of thousands so uh, it was a different approach it was you know based on our expectations wildly successful we we actually uh, achieved some really cool statistics on on the Indiegogo website and we got about four times the number of customers that we thought we would get out of it. So, <laughs> so we're excited. Yeah, we're excited about building those relationships and learning what people really want in the smart home. And and what have you found that people really want out of smart home? So on that campaign, uh, to be totally frank, we haven't shipped the units yet. Um, our expectation is they're going to want simple, simple and fast installation, things that aren't obtrusive in their life, things that don't create what I, what I call notification saturation where I don't need to be notified of every single thing that happens in my house. I only want to know about the things that are important, like when does my daughter get home from school and is it my daughter? Um, Do I have a problem with water leak detector or water failure in my hot water heater? I just want the critically important things. I don't need to know everything that happens because when that starts happening, people start ignoring the notifications. Um, So that's one thing we've heard. We also have heard quite loudly that they want options in terms of, While we consider this a DIY product, DIY is an installation method, easy to install. It doesn't matter who installs it, but it's easy to install. But they also want features that provide peace of mind, like when I'm not home, I may want to be monitored by a professional security dealer. Uh, So we want to be able to offer those kind of options as well. So it's kind of a hybrid of pro and DIY. DIY from an installation process, but the the kind of services that maybe a professional would normally offer, we to be able to get consumers and professionals engaged for those kind of things. So a professional quality system and professional experience Yes.
1: without having to have someone come in and knock holes in the wall.
2: That's right. There should be, I think that's a great way to say it. This is in fact from 80 years of professional security experience, the technologies and the learnings from those 80 years we've built into this product. But we've changed the way you interact with it. We've changed the way you install it to make it really simple.
1: Fantastic. Well, we're we're looking forward to seeing it and and seeing you ship those units to your Indiegogo backers and we hope to review it for our Apple Insider listeners and readers. Thank you so much, Scott. Thank
2: you.
1: This episode is brought to you by Pitney Bowes. No matter what you send or how often, Pitney Bowes has your sending solution. Print postage from your office, take advantage of special discounts, saving as much as three cents per letter versus the price of a stamp. And they have plans as low as $5 per month. Visit pb.com slash insider to learn more and sign up for a free trial. That's pb.com slash insider. Terms apply. See site for details. Thank you. Mike, where can
0: people find you on the internet? Well, you can find me just about every day at Apple Insider. And if you're interested in a saltier version of the Apple Insider podcast that I record with a cohort, you can catch me on spacejavelin.com every Monday.
1: I'm Victor Marks, and I'm here at Apple Insider you can check out some of my other things at wristwatchreview.com or tokenreporter.co. And I'm so glad you joined us. We hope to see you again next week.